Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right. Welcome to the Sports Media Watch podcast. This is John Lewis, and it's a bit of a different podcast. Uh, so obviously, if you've been listening to the SMW podcast for the past year plus, you know it's been me and my co-host TJ Reeves. Well, TJ and I have gone our separate ways now, and uh, it's an amicable uh, parting. TJ's doing his own thing, and I'm going to continue doing the podcast over here. Uh, I do want to thank TJ uh, because he obviously is the one who brought me into doing this and uh, encouraged me to do it. And I certainly wouldn't be doing my own podcast right now if not for TJ. So I do want to thank him for that. But we are ready to move on into a new chapter, a new season. I'm joined on the podcast by Drew Lerner, who's going to be helping me out. And I'm going to give Drew a little bit of time to just introduce himself briefly before we dive on in to the topic of the day, the Super Bowl weekend. So, Drew, the floor is yours. Thank you, John. And I'm certainly humbled that you would allow someone so grossly underqualified as me to uh, to take TJ's spot. I, I hope I can, you know, guide the ship as well as he did. Uh, just a brief bit about me. I'm a broadcast production professional based in Washington, D.C., uh, on the news side, so sports is more of a hobby at this point, but I am surely just as big of a sports media nerd as probably most of you listening. So I'm excited to to jump right in and uh, and talk about Super Bowl ratings. Yeah, that's a great segue into the big topic, which is we've got Super Bowl 53 this weekend, the Chiefs and the Eagles, and what will the ratings look like? But first, before I dig into that, I do want to remind everybody, if you were a subscriber to the Sports Media Watch podcast before, you will have to resubscribe. This is a different podcast link. If you search for the Sports Media Watch uh, podcast on Apple Podcasts, you should find it, but you'll have to resubscribe to get new episodes of this podcast, which will be on the regular Tuesday, Wednesday that they were before. And we'll be back taping on Tuesday after the Super Bowl. So you'll have to resubscribe uh, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you were listening to it before. You will have to resubscribe. All right. So let's talk about this weekend's big event, the Super Bowl. And look, there's been a lot of discussion about the ratings and what we're going to be looking at. Will the numbers be a record Super Bowl ratings have become kind of confusing because ultimately you have that linear audience, but you also have all the other things that are being added into it. You have the issue of streaming viewership, you have out of home, you have that Spanish language simulcast. Ultimately, you can look at last year's number and say, wow, you know, just shy of 100 million viewers. But when you add in all those other things, it was well over 100 million. In fact, over 110 million if you add in the streaming viewership the way that NBC did, it can be pretty difficult to figure out. For me, I look at that Super Bowl audience, primarily the linear audience is what I'm concerned about. On that basis, I look at this year's matchup, Kansas City, Philadelphia, big market team in the Eagles. It was just in the Super Bowl five years ago. Big star, Patrick Mahomes on Kansas City. I do think this will be the most watched Super Bowl on linear TV 
just plain linear, no streaming, just the main English language broadcast on Fox. I do think it'll be the most watched Super Bowl in a few years. The irony, of course, is that because Fox does not have a major over-the-top streaming provider, right, like Peacock or Paramount Plus, that combined audience may very well be lower than it was last year. So this could be a multi-year high on linear, but a decline across all platforms, which could make for some pretty interesting press releases coming up on Tuesday. John, you mentioned in your statement that out-of-home viewing is, is a big um, number for the Super Bowl. Can you dive more into how out-of-home viewing is going to impact that overall number? Well, you know, it's a very interesting thing because out-of-home viewing has actually been included in the Super Bowl audience for quite a while. Now, Nielsen began incorporating out-of-home into its final nationals on August 30th, 2020. So there's only been two Super Bowls in the out-of-home era that we're currently in. But before that, several Super Bowls in a row had out-of-home viewing tracked separately. Nielsen started doing this, I think it was 17, was the first one, Patriots-Falcons. Each of those Super Bowls had about 10 to 11 million viewers out of home, right? So when you take a look at, you know, uh, the, the, the Patriots-Falcons Super Bowl, which, let me see if I can get the, um, the actual number pulled up really quickly. Uh, let me see here. Bear with me one second. Let me see, because I have it. Uh, in one of my many uh, Excel spreadsheets here. So I'm sure those are plentiful on your computer. Oh yes, and they're all they're all very pretty. I've got very pretty, very well designed Excel spreadsheets that only I ever see. Uh, but uh, if you go back to the uh, Patriots Falcons Super Bowl, that was 111 million viewers just on linear alone. Okay, that was actually the last Super Bowl before out of home. The very next year, that number drops to 103 million for Eagles uh, Patriots. But that game has an out-of-home audience conducted separately of 12 million. And as a result, the overall across all platforms audience was 118 million, actually up from Patriots Falcons previous year. And technically, very technically, the largest Super Bowl audience on record because Patriots Seahawks, the current record was only 115 million across all platforms without out-of-home. Right. So out-of-home viewing immediately vaults Eagles Patriots to being the most watched Super Bowl on record, even with a linear audience that was down fairly significantly from the previous year. So you have 11 to 12 million for uh, the Super Bowl, 18, 19, and 20. And then in 21 and 22, out-of-home is included. But what happens is that linear audience in 2021 is just 95 million. In 2022, it's just 99 million with out-of-home included. If you only look at the linear number, you might think the declines were pretty modest because in 2020, the Super Bowl was 100 million. In 2019, it was 98 million. In 2018, it was 103 million. Each of those years, though, has the out-of-home separate. So if you add in that separate out-of-home, the decline is actually pretty sharp. You're going from 118, 113, and 113 million to 95 million and 99 million. You're talking about maybe 13, 14 million viewers lost. Now, a big reason for that, ultimately, is that out-of-home viewing would have been much lower those two years anyway due to COVID, right? So if you think about it, you're not dealing with 11 and 12 million viewers out-of-home. I don't have the exact number. I, I will hopefully be able to get it. I would assume that for Bucks Chiefs in 21, when you know there were only 25,000 people in the stadium, you want to talk about out-of-home, uh, it was probably maybe four or five million out-of-home that year. 
And then last year, maybe it was seven, eight million. Maybe we're talking about 91, low 90s in terms of millions of viewers for those games. All of which is to say, if out-of-home viewing in any way bounces back to what it was before COVID, if it in any way gets to that 11 and 12 million mark, that alone could be enough to get this year's Super Bowl on a linear basis, even with Eagles Patriots in 2019. Now, of course, that number excludes out of home. So in reality, it'll still be several million short. But if you're just looking straight at that Nielsen final national number, this year's Super Bowl could end up being at a five-year high just with regular, normal out-of-home viewing. Hopefully that wasn't too dense and technical and convoluted, but basically that out-of-home could make the difference this year. Yeah, that's certainly very interesting and maybe a little dense for a layman like me, but you know, I think you did a great job of explaining it. I know we had a chance to talk about this earlier, and I was quite surprised when we were talking about these numbers that only maybe you know roughly 10% of the viewing for a Super Bowl is, is out-of-home viewing. Um, just my anecdotal experience, there's been very few times where I've actually watched the Super Bowl in my own home, either alone or just with my family. It's often been at a Super Bowl party or at a, at a bar or pub. Um, do you think that this is an undercount of out-of-home viewing for the Super Bowl, or is am I kind of just the odd one out that I'm the one in 10 that uh, well, just views the Super Bowl out of home? You know, out of home is such a difficult thing to get, you know, kind of straight, because ultimately, I don't know necessarily how completely accurate that's going to be. You're talking about something that measures audio signals, right? And first of all, how many people are even looking at the TV? You know, I mean, you can be wearing your portable people meter and be at a bar and the audio signal is picking up a certain game, but you're focused on another game that's on where the, the sound is muted or you're not paying attention to any game because you're just at the part of drink. I mean, I don't know, but I will say certainly 11 and 12 million does seem kind of small for out of home with the Super Bowl. I agree. I will say that I personally... I've never gone to a Super Bowl party. I've actually only ever watched a Super Bowl with the people I would normally watch TV with anyway. Uh, so for me, that's just not something that I do. Maybe it's the case that the Super Bowl party type thing is a little bit, um, you know, maybe it's not as commonplace as all that. I don't know if I'm the weird one or if they're if 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 it's actually more common to watch it the way that I do. But uh, certainly for me, you know. Based on my own viewing habits, it does make sense because I watch in-home with a normal number of people, not, you know, 20 folks. Well, I'd certainly love to hear from our listeners and see if they had any any comments on that. But let's move on to uh, when you expect the ratings to peak in this year's Super Bowl. I know traditionally halftime is is the ratings peak for a Super Bowl. Is Rihanna going to draw that number this year, or do you expect it to be a different time? Well, I think Rihanna is obviously a big star. I'm not going to be like Stephen A. Smith and uh, you know uh, run the ire of Rihanna's fans. Um, I I do think the Super Bowl will probably peak during that halftime period. That's normally when it does. Uh, the Super Bowl audience is an audience of people who don't care about football. The, you know, let's say that the NFC and AFC title games are the maximum football viewing audience because outside of the Super Bowl, they are. That's like 50 million viewers. So half the audience of the Super Bowl 
can you know is comprised of people who were not watching the other top games of the year. There's a lot of people who are tuning in just for Rihanna, just for the commercials. That's just the way it is. Uh, and uh, so I would suspect that there'd be a peak audience during the halftime, unless the game is just incredible and really close down the stretch. I mean, then you never know at, at that point. But I would think uh, probably during that halftime period, especially, you know, one of the things without a home, one of the things I noticed, the, uh, the early games do better out of home than the late games. Uh, so people might be heading home at a certain time, 10 o'clock at night, you know, uh, not everyone's a night owl going out partying. So maybe in the out of home era, that peak might be even earlier. Yeah, that certainly makes sense. Um, let's move on to, you know, a number that maybe Fox executives would be happy with. What are they looking for in a Super Bowl number? I know. Did you give a ratings prediction earlier? Dennis, um, that. Uh, I did for uh, Doug Pucci's uh, uh, roundup. I think it was about 103 million. My thought is that the Eagles are back. It's a big market uh, matchup. You have out of home returning to normal. So I'm thinking around 103 million, 103 million, just like in 18 Eagles Patriots. And I'm sure, you know, given that that just blows any other program out of the water for the rest of the year, that has to be something that, you know, any you know executive would be fine with, right? Well, the reality of the matter is that the Super Bowl, you know, the Super Bowl has so far to go before it would be an actual ratings disaster. Now, if if the Super Bowl audience is 83 million viewers, there's going to be major disappointment everywhere with the NFL, with Fox. But ultimately, that's still 83 million viewers. You're not getting anywhere close to that with anything else. So, you know, the Super Bowl has so much latitude before, you know, you get to a point where, okay, Wow, this number is concerning. Uh, I think Fox would love anything over 100 million. I think, you know, uh, 100 million for the Super Bowl is the Mendoza line, right? Which is incredible because for everything else on sports TV, it's probably 10 million. But for the Super Bowl, it's 100 million. If you can get to that 100 million mark, there's going to be no complaints, even if it takes streaming and Spanish language and all the other, you know, extra things that are being piled into the numbers now, even if it takes all that to get to 100 million. As long as you can say you had at least a hundred million, you're fine. Now let's look at maybe a you know a five or a ten year time horizon, looking out into the future. Do you see this Super Bowl ratings number as very elastic, or do you always see it kind of just hovering around that hundred million number, give or take five or so million? Well, it depends. You know, uh, do I think? I think one of the most important things when it comes to determining what the numbers are going to look like in the future is, has Nielsen gotten to the point where they are accounting for all of the viewing? Because if they haven't, then they can always add to it. Nothing Nielsen has done necessarily is so inaccurate, right? Out of home, it's inflating the numbers, but it's inflating the numbers to where they should be, right? They were undercounted for years. You can't measure a sports audience that only includes people inside of a house when people watch so much sports in bars and things of that nature. So, you know, as time goes on and Nielsen or whatever company succeeds to them, if that ever happens, as they start to find other ways to actually give us a real estimate of who's really watching, then eventually whatever decline in viewing there is can be made up for by more accurately counting the audience. So you could see the numbers maintain that 100 million range for an extended period of time, even if the actual viewing is going down. 
kind of like what we've seen where the Super Bowl was at 99 million viewers last year, had a 36.9 rating. Now, Nielsen has changed things up a little bit on the ratings side, which may account for why the ratings have been so relatively low. But the Super Bowl was over a 40 rating for three straight decades. It was at a 36 last year, second straight year under a 40. That tells me that there is some erosion here, but you wouldn't really know if you looked at the linear audience because the inclusion of out of home makes up for the decline in the traditional numbers. And that I think will continue happening where the numbers are declining, but you're adding more and more and more so that you can't really tell if you look at that viewership figure. Yeah. And a lot of what you said just speaks to the inexact science of yeah. measuring viewership, right? Nielsen has always struggled to fully capture what a, what a sports audience is and how they watch. And as they continue to improve, you know, that kind of just changes the goalposts some more and it's harder to look at the historical data in context um yeah. let's look more towards you know the the league office um it, at the nfl is there a number do you think that they would start to get uncomfortable with how low super bowl viewership is getting i know you mentioned there has been some erosion in recent years well i think once the super bowl is under a 30 rating people will start to take notice a little bit but the most important thing with the Super Bowl isn't how it's doing. It's how it's doing relative to its competition. So as long as the Super Bowl is dramatically outpacing everything else on TV, you know, I don't think there'd be too much concern. And, you know, the great thing about being in the league office is the ratings really don't matter for them. All they need is the TV money, right? And, you know, uh, as long as the networks are willing to pay them, it doesn't really matter how low the ratings go. That's one of the reasons why it was so disingenuous when Jerry Jones was losing his mind over the ratings during the Kaepernick stuff. It's like, what do you care? You know, you're getting an enormous increase in media rights coming up. Yeah. And they definitely have at least seven more years, if not, you know, 10 years left on, on those deals. So they are certainly sitting pretty right now. Yeah. Uh, let's dive into one more, maybe a little bit in the weeds questions before we get on to, to other topics here. Um, Nielsen has come out and said that they will be handling that their fast nationals number differently for this year's Super Bowl. Would you care to explain that to the layman here yeah. um, in, in a bit simpler terms? Well, there were a lot of dishonest folks running with the non-time zone adjusted fast nationals to create narratives about the ratings being even worse than they were uh, in 20. Uh, when everything came back from COVID, you had all the George Floyd stuff, a lot of uh, social justice messaging that people, you know, didn't like. Uh, maybe it scared off some folks. Maybe it contributed to the ratings being down. But ultimately, you had dishonest folks running with numbers that were especially low because they weren't accurate and making hay out of them. And so the networks and the leagues, I'm sure, were not pleased with that. And the NFL has enough pull that Nielsen is adjusting its delivery there. So uh, ultimately, those numbers will not be publicly available unless I think you're on a certain mailing list. And that's just the way it, it has to be, you know, I mean, you know, that, that was always such nonsense. Like the NBA finals did so poorly in 2020, it was horrible. The numbers were so poor. And yet you still had dishonest people out there running with numbers that weren't accurate because they were even lower than the actually horrible numbers that uh, you had to wait a little bit to, to get. There was some political motivation there. Uh, some of it too was just people not being willing to wait until like five o'clock for the actual numbers to come out and wanting to get it out in the morning. So uh, either way, I think it's a good thing that Nielsen is doing away with uh, that ability. 
Yeah, you're definitely right. And it, it is just so interesting to see how those numbers are used by you know, network PR teams or blogs and all of that. Um, they're really meaningless to, to most of those people, yeah. as I know we talked about um, before, before the show here. But, uh, you know, there, well, there are people out there that are interested. Yeah, let's let's bring the, the full audience into what we were talking about, which is ultimately that, you know, none of these ratings should mean anything to anybody outside of the leagues and the networks. Ultimately, uh, you know, it, it really doesn't matter. The numbers are only there to tell advertisers where to spell, uh, where to spend their money. Uh, but sports fans care a great deal about the ratings, and they use the ratings as a proxy for whatever issue is bothering them, and not just politics either. You know, it could be stage racing in NASCAR, and people will use the ratings as evidence. Ah, see, they brought in the stage racing and the car of tomorrow, and they ruined it. As everyone can see, uh, no one's watching anymore. And, and so the ratings become a way to win an argument when you have a political issue, when you have an issue with the way the sport is being played, but you hate a player, you might hate LeBron or you hate Tom Brady or you hate Rodgers, you know, uh, it, it, it's always kind of used as evidence of, oh, see, I'm right and everybody agrees with me and the ratings are now terrible. Wow, yeah, you I could not have said it better myself. The, there's always a motivation for how people use those numbers. Um, I think it's time that we should move into, I guess, our new segment. We we are leaving yeah. love it or leave it in the in the past. I guess we are leaving that. <laughs> well, I, um, I enjoyed love it or leave it, but I met, I I assume that's I mean, that was TJ's idea, so I'll leave that to him. In 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 uh, you know the interest of, of of good sportsmanship and create something of my own. Uh, so what I was thinking was uh, something along the lines of a uh, rapid fire. Uh, going over some other sports media topics, because one of the things I want to do with the new version of the podcast is make it a little bit leaner, a little bit quicker. Uh, if you're listening to a podcast, you might not want to sit down for a full hour and 15 minutes. Uh, so we want to actually keep this within maybe 20 to 30 uh, when we don't have guests. Uh, and uh, so we're going to uh, reduce some of those other topics to this segment, this rapid fire segment. Yeah, and we, we have a few topics ready here. Um, we're going to start out with uh, a big night for the NBA. Uh, obviously, you know, the NBA has been sucking a lot of air out of this pre-Super Bowl week um, with, with all of yeah. their news. Um, so let's start with LeBron's record-breaking night. Uh, what was the number there? Did it meet or miss your expectation for TNT? Well, it was nearly 3 million viewers, which is uh, a tremendous number for the current NBA, which is to say the NBA of the post-COVID era, which does not draw as well as the NBA did, say, in 2018 or so. Uh, 3 million viewers for an Oklahoma City Thunder game. Yeah, LeBron is in it, too, and making history, but it's the Oklahoma City Thunder that they were playing. I think it's a good number, one of the top 10 audiences of the year overall behind just the Christmas games, opening night, and a couple of ABC games. Uh, it was a strong tune-in for two sub-500 teams. The reality of the matter is this game probably would have been four or five million viewers if it happened in 2016. It didn't happen in 2016, though. Uh, and, uh, you, you know, you can't judge it by that standard. The reality of the matter is uh, there's not a great analog for what LeBron did. You know, it was the first time in 38 years that anybody broke the all-time scoring record. LeBron was even born when Kareem did that. Uh, so, you know, it's hard to find a good comparison, but when Steph Curry broke the three point record last year, uh, against the Knicks, that was 2.3 million. That was back in the undercount era. 
So it might've been maybe 2.5, 2.6, one way or the other. That was Steph in New York in an earlier time slot, 7.30. It was about 2.5, 2.6 million, depending on the level of undercount. Maybe the undercount wasn't even that severe and it was maybe just 2.4 million. Either way, uh, you know, this game did better than that. So I think that's pretty good if you're at the NBA, uh, no complaints. Uh, and, uh, you know, that State of the Union probably hurt too. So to get nearly 3 million on a night where you have that kind of competition, weak State of the Union in terms of viewership is still a very strong audience. Uh, I think the NBA can be mostly satisfied with that. Yep. State of the Union, usually one of the biggest non-sporting television events of the year. So yeah. that, that's a tough night to go, go up against. Um, just another quick one on this topic is the NBA, you know, I, I'm sure they feel fortunate that their that their um, new media rights deals are coming up in the next year um, because LeBron is still in the league. Yeah. Is the league ready for a post LeBron world? I know I saw on your website that about half of the top 10 rated games this year have featured LeBron. Um, yeah. Are they going to take a ratings hit once LeBron's gone? Well, no, if Steph is still there, I mean, they'll take a ratings hit, but if you still have Steph, you know, but once LeBron and Steph are gone and Steph is 33, 34, we're very close to the era where there won't be LeBron or Steph or Kevin Durant. And if the next generation of the NBA is led by John Morant, who seems to revel in his ability to generate bad PR for the league, it might not necessarily be great. What the league really needs is Zion Williamson to get healthy. Uh, and uh, maybe Wembenyana to to pan out. But, you know, the NBA got so tremendously lucky. People take LeBron James for granted. All they can ever talk about with LeBron is what he's not. It's incredible to think all-time leading scorer, four-time champ, and people act like he's somehow not great. Every conversation about him is, oh, he's not as good as X, Y, or Z. The NBA got tremendously lucky when LeBron James panned out mm -hmm. because he was drafted a year after Kwame Brown went number one. He was drafted in an era where high school players came into the league and never panned out. And not only did he pan out, he became uh, one of the greatest of all time. And uh, you're, it's just like with Serena and Venus. There were a lot of people in tennis who couldn't stop complaining about Serena and Venus. Well, let me know the next time that you get two sisters from America who win 30 majors in their careers between them. Let me know the next time because that'll be a good day for tennis if they're ever able to repeat that. Yeah, I'm sure they would love that right about now. Um, yeah. Although plenty of great up-and-comers in the tennis world, just some of them not American. Um, well, all right, let's move on to another semi-NBA topic with Charles Barkley. Uh, today came out, uh, it is rumored that he is being floated for one of CNN's primetime news slots. Yeah. How do you think that would work? <laughs> Well, uh, you know, Turner always wants Barkley to do CNN stuff, and Barkley has had CNN duties in his contract on several different occasions. Charles has signed multiple contracts with Turner that included some CNN component, but it never really ends up being anything. Uh, Charles was actually, I believe, uh, in his first contract with Turner or one of his first contracts, he, I believe, was required to be on CNN's Talk Back Live every week. This was a show they did with Arthel Neville, who you probably uh, have heard of Arthel Neville. Uh, and, um, you know, I mean, that's 20 years ago that Charles was doing that. Uh, do I think that uh, Chris Lick, who did the, Col the Colbert show for CBS, do, we th do I think he's going to be able to get Charles for this? No, I don't. I just watched uh, two hours today of Charles on with uh, uh, Stephen Jackson and uh, Matt Barnes on, on, the, on that podcast. And 
Charles Barkley has never done work he didn't want to do, at least not in this stage of his life. He always said, oh, I want to be the governor of Alabama, never ran. You know, he, he always says, I'm going to leave TNT, never does. I, I do not believe that Charles Barkley will host a show for CNN. I don't think he wants to genuinely. And I don't think there's enough money they can offer him, especially with the deal that he just got. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, if you're trying to resurrect CNN in prime time, you know, good luck. Uh, you know, yeah, that, that's a tough sell. And, and to me, yeah. I, you mentioned it, you know, the only motivation I would see for Barkley is if he wants to run for political office in the future, yeah. that would be the only thing that would motivate him to host a, a CNN primetime slot. I think this saga could continue for, for quite a while. They, they're going to go through as many swings and misses as they can, because I know they want to make a splash, but, um, I, I think this could be a, a saga for years to come well you know Chris, uh, well let me just quickly say chris yeah. at least has the right idea because the cable news audience is aging and aging and aging i don't know that it's going to be replenished by the younger generations aging into it i think cable news is a deeply unpleasant type of thing for a lot of people and uh you know uh fox and msnbc are kind of well fox mostly but also msnbc are coasting on a generation of viewers that won't be here in 20 years and so uh i i think Trying to branch out into something that isn't some, you know, terrible person screaming at people, I think is at least a smart idea, or at least a, a worthwhile try uh, by Chris Licht. Yep. And quickly, I think we have time for one more, just real quick. Obviously, a lot of drama between Biden and Fox Corporation or the mm -hmm. Biden administration and Fox Corporation today. What is your take on all of that? Well, my take is we don't need the, we don't need a presidential interview during the Super Bowl pregame. So when this started in 2009, right, and, and Reagan did this in the 80s, but it, it became an annual event with Obama in 2009. Barack Obama had just made history, the first black president, and people forget, but the vibes around Barack Obama were so good. The vibes everywhere, even with the economy being so terrible, were good. I mean, part of that is I was 20, so maybe my thought process was a little bit more positive back then, too. But the reality of the matter is there's this good vibes in the country. And having the president do uh, a, a Super Bowl interview made sense. He had a 60% approval rating. Well, he was never as popular again. No president has been as popular again as Obama was then. And every single year, you bring in somebody with a 40% approval rating who 50% of the country doesn't like for 10 minutes with reporters that most of the country doesn't like, whether they're at Fox or NBC or wherever, uh, and it interrupts, you know, a, a Super Bowl pregame show that's pretty tedious, but is otherwise not stirring up any passions whatsoever. I think get rid of it. There's no need for it. Nobody really benefits from it. And uh, the, the drama, the very trivial, petty nonsense between the Biden administration and Fox News today, it's just a waste of everybody's time. Yeah, uh, I tend to agree. I, I'm not in love with uh, you know mixing politics and the sports in such a direct way. I did think I briefly read in uh, in in media today that the tradition started in 2004. I'll have to double well, check that. Yeah. They um, got. They, I don't know if it was every year after right. that. It but, wasn't um, every year. It was yeah. one off. It was Bush in a re-election year, and he did it with Jim Nance, like the friendliest possible. Okay. You know, yeah. it wasn't with you know uh, Bob Schieffer. <laughs> or I guess Dan Rather was still there, actually. But. That, that's, that is a little bit different. Yeah. Well, John, I think this has been a, a great first episode. I'm liking the, the quick style of this. I'll let you close us out.
yeah hey thank you so much for listening everybody this is going to be the way things go from here on i hope you like it give me some feedback and don't forget subscribe apple podcasts you'll have to resubscribe but uh, that's it for the new season of the sports media watch podcast thank you and um, we'll see you on tuesday Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.